Welcome to Now I See, eye-opening stories from the formerly faithful. I'm your host, Amber White, and here, me and my guests share our experiences in loving and leaving rigid faith systems. Together, we shine a light on the dark corners of these institutions and share the joys of rebuilding life on our own terms. I promise you'll leave inspired, even if you are a little teary-eyed. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Now I See. I'm your host, Amber White, and today I am delighted to introduce you to Celeste Hensley. Celeste is one of the first people I met to discuss being a guest on the podcast, and I knew less than a minute into meeting her that we were going to have an incredible time. Celeste is one of those people who isn't afraid to speak her mind, and she's not afraid to make a joke out of something that's mildly traumatizing, so this episode has some phenomenal moments of levity. And I just know you're going to love her big personality and sense of humor as much as I do. I'm glad this episode is half comedy show because our subject for today is one that sits with many of us former faithfuls very heavily which is the fear of God and the way the institutions we grew up in instill a deep sense of fear in us about pretty much everything. I remember being barely a preteen and crying in my bed at 2 a.m. over the falsehoods I was learning about the rapture in the Left Behind series. Fun fact for those of you who are into this sort of thing, the book of Revelation is post-apocalyptic Jewish literature about a tyrannical government and not a prediction of the future. So think science fiction. But in the fundamentalist and evangelical realm, it's very real, and it could happen at any moment. Everything is a sign of the end times. Computers, smartphones, even the election of former President Barack Obama. In case you haven't heard, he's the Antichrist, and he's still planning to microchip us all with a hidden mark of the beast. So be careful out there, folks. (laughs) I've been reading this book called Leaving the Fold by Dr. Merlene Wenell. It's available in the bookshop link in the show notes for every episode. In the section about fear manipulations, she says something that I think explains this fear very well. She says, The most powerful technique of fundamentalism is a terror tactic. Fundamentalism teaches the existence of hell, a place of eternal torment. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are doomed. Some describe hell as a place of outer darkness 
void of God's presence. The idea is that if you do not want to be close to God, then you simply get what you have chosen. Even other non-fundamentalist Christians are considered lost. This appeal capitalizes on the natural fear people have of death, making it much worse with horrible images of everlasting torture. Fire and brimstone preachers have long known the power of such an approach, especially for children with their vivid imaginations and unclear notions of reality. The imagery of a fiery hell is intensely frightening. A parent threatening a child with such tortures before death can easily be seen as abusive. But fundamentalist preachers have no shame about describing with relish the weeping and gnashing of teeth that God will mete out to sinners. The fear of hell is frequently powerful enough to keep a person trying to conform. If the salvation formula was tried, but no dramatic effects were felt, a follower might answer many altar calls, repeating the ritual and trying to believe. Evangelists often threaten people by suggesting they imagine a sudden accidental death, perhaps in an accident on their way home from the meeting. The fear is kept alive as everyone constantly speculates about whether they are ready to meet their maker. And, as if the danger of Satan weren't enough, God is a source of fear as well, often portrayed as jealous and vengeful in the Bible. Jesus said, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Luke 12, 5. Or, as Susan put it, What do you have to be saved from? Well, as it turns out, if you follow all the writings to their end, you have to be saved from God. Whose holy prison is this? That has been sitting hard with me for weeks. And it just makes me think, is it any wonder at all why so many former fundamentalists and evangelicals struggle their whole lives with anxiety and depression? When the people around you question your salvation over minor perceived, quote, signs that you may not be bearing enough fruit to really be a child of God, but you can't trust yourself because your heart is wicked, deceitful, and not to be trusted, it's incredibly difficult to feel like your salvation isn't, at best, tenuous. I once had my salvation questioned because I didn't give a testimony in church, but a girl younger than me did. At the colleges that Celeste and I attended, they would question your salvation if your grades were poor enough or if you watched unapproved movies when you were back home. The reasons you could be secretly damned to an eternity in hell are endless. So, like I said, it's a good thing this episode comes with some hearty laughs. (laughs) But before we get into the episode, I'd like to remind you of a couple of things. One, there are several great resources on the podcast website for folks who are working through the aftermath of leaving their religion. So if you found yourself in that space or you know someone who is, check out those resources. They may be helpful. And I'd also like to remind you that ratings and reviews help the show get noticed 
so much. So if you love the podcast, please consider leaving a review to help us grow. All right, let's get into the episode. Celeste, I am so excited to have you on the podcast with me today. When we first met, I was like, hell yes, I've got another Bible college bestie (laughs) who's going to know what I'm talking about. She's going to get it. And I'm just, I'm really excited to have you on here because I feel like we're going to have a great time, as best of a time as you possibly can, talking about subject matter together. And I also just think you're a lot badass. Oh, thank you. That's, you know, my main goal in life is just, you know, when I die, people say, you know what? She was a real badass. She was really the real badass. one. And you know about the Bible college? You know what they say now? If you know, you know. Like, yeah, if yeah. you know, you know. Like, if you get it, you get it. You get if it. you've lived it, you got it. You got it. It's so, so true. Oh, my God. I love you so Bible much. college besties. That's Bible great. college besties. But better because we're not going to stab each other in the back over oh. the perceived. Well, fine. In case I got guilty and needed to like turn you in mm-hmm. for your sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going right. to get into that in a little while, awesome. listeners. Okay. <laughs> all about that. Oh, okay. So, for the sake of our listeners, can you set the scene a little bit about the religion you grew up in and what that was like, what some of the belief systems were, and then where you went to college? Yeah, so I really didn't, I have to be honest, I didn't know what it really was when I was in it. I just remember being independent Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, what I know now is independent fundamentalism, or yeah. independent fundamental Baptist, the IFB. And so that's the church I grew up in, and grew up in the same church my whole life, essentially, and was told I for sure needed to go to Bob Jones, despite yeah. other you know scholarships and offers. Tell us about that. Because um, you're a fabulous, classically trained opera singer. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I didn't discover that. I went to my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. and my dad was like, oh, you've got something like you need to do this. Yeah. And had a couple scholarships offered from bigger schools and had this old man that wanted to be my full sponsorship to send me to Juilliard. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, don't do that. We were going to um, go to Bob Jones, which I will have to say, m- musically... I mean, top notch. I can't. I can't deny that. We're in the south. You can say can't. Can't. I can't deny. Can't ever good. I myself. got some good education. <laughs> you know, um, especially musically. But the goal there was to get that MRS degree and right. find you a pastor and play the piano and sing in the church for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, sing in the church, but not lead the choir. That's amazing. Right. Yeah, so I, that's that's the scene, Bob Jones University, mm-hmm. 2003, 2004. And, um, yeah, I got started there. And oddly enough, I, I get trained and came back to seeing my church, how I was told was the standard, right? Here's mm-hmm. my standard. I've done this. Come back and sing. It was, like, literally made fun of. Why? From the pulpit. Because, like, you know, why are you singing like that? Well, I don't know. That's exactly what you told me I needed to do. So that's what here I am. Pensacola taught this. So I went to Pensacola Christian College. They are uh, rival. They would never say this. Rival sister schools. They're sisters. We were taught Pensacola was more liberal. That's hilarious. Like not as strict. They didn't do things the right way. 
Um, but yeah, just way more relaxed. But Bob Jones was the the standard. It really was. Like that was the standard. Oh yeah. Pensacola wasn't nearly as good, you know, educationally, yeah. like spiritually. Yeah. Um, much more, I guess, loose is the term they would use. And God forbid you went somewhere like Clearwater. Oh, yeah, Clearwater was a no-go. Liberty? <laughs> You're basically going to a party school. Exactly. Liberty. <laughs> We're not. Are you even at Christian college? No. What? It's interesting that you say Bob Jones looked at Pensacola as less strict because Pensacola is a little more strict. Really? Yes. Yes. You guys I got rid of your tights rule before we did, and so our women were definitely holier. I hate to break it to you. I'm so sorry. Word on the street, it was like Stephen Jones and his wife that helped remove that. So go them. Go them. <laughs> this book's that rules are sense. not comprehensive. Was that true at Bob Jones for you? It wasn't Pensacola for me. Like, the rules are there, but there are also rules that are unspoken rules. Unspoken rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with the rules was it just didn't make sense. Right. And with what I know about myself now and what I understand about myself as a child, Wanting to know why, that's not a bad thing, by the way, because you need to know why and how something works to get an understanding of why, you know, it's a whole cause and effect thing. How are we supposed to learn and get a different outcome if we don't understand how it, what's the reason? Right. Cardi B. What's, What's the, the reason? reason? What's the reason? <laughs> Tell me the reason. I need to know the reason. Otherwise, I can't correct my behavior or change my path or whatever it is you want to say. If I don't know the reason, like just stupid rules that I don't remember reading in the rule book, but like how um, the boys' dorms could have, um, I think it was a portable PlayStation came out, but they could have gaming systems, but the female dorms could not. What? Yeah. And um, I can't believe they even allowed video games on campus. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know how to be checkable, you know, yeah. probably general for ages like three to five. Yeah. Um, to be appropriate. Even that was a little iffy. <laughs> no Pokemon. There's a no Pokemon. Sh- oh, um, sure as hell no fucking Harry Potter. Oh, I mean, God. witchcraft! Basically, <laughs> um, <laughs> you're letting demons into your dorm if you play Harry Potter. Don't even say the words Harry Potter or a little witch is going to come by. Let's say Beetlejuice three they times. You. <laughs> this is going to be the comedy episode. I'm telling you right now. I love it. It's the best way to Were that girls? Like the female girls? We were told you could not listen to like Christmas music, not holiday music, Christmas music. Oh, Christ. Christ. Is it Christmas? You could not listen to Christmas music before Christmas break. Um, or maybe it was like you could listen to it like the week of, like your last week before Christmas break, because females were too emotional and would begin to get too homesick and wouldn't be able to focus on their studies. So, um, oh, oh. men could, you know, because they had bigger dicks and women didn't have any right. dicks. So and men don't have any emotions. women are so, yeah, they're so emotional. They get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting uh, for them to get off that MRS degree. Train. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the rules I think were more, I guess there were some unspoken, but also just some that were not logical. They didn't yeah. make sense. I couldn't. Yeah. I, um. One of my least favorite rules is that you could not have headphones on campus at Pensacola and they would confiscate them if they found them. You did not get them back. They literally just stole your shit and you signed away the rights to your life when you got on that campus. It's unreal. You did. I got into Corral, which is like 
the best of the best choir, and we did chorale tour, fancy, so that all the churches could see how good we could, you know, sing. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents had bought me like the original iPod because I was a music, you know, I was a voice performance major, Mm -hmm. and that's how you listen to things. And my um, dad did that, and I appreciate that a lot. And I had some of the original like headphones, you know, the wired, whatever. I don't remember the word. Anyways, we were on choir tour. And I had, now, first of all, the original iPod, it had it programmed. Like, it had, like, rock, pop, I think, like, classical and something else. Like, I didn't put those on there. Like, they come on there. Standard. Um, But I will tell you, I did put me some Celine Dion on there. The devil's music? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so you have these categories. I don't know where it was in there. But then everything else was literally almost, like, maxed out to capacity with my arias and shit that I had mm-hmm. to like learn and listen to. And, um, I remember the, um, choir director's wife had saw me listen to it and like took my ear pod or whatever. I would find pods out of my ear. Oh, it was actually, yeah, my ear, earbuds and held up to her ear to like listen to what I was listening to. And then I, you know, the choir director came and he was like, you know, you can't be listening to that. And she said, there's rock on there. I'm like, there's not rock on there. It was just Celine Dion and all of my other arias. And he was super gracious about it. He didn't go turn me in. And I, you know, I appreciate that. That's where. Yeah. No, she popped those earbuds right out my ear. Like, why do you like to? I'm like, wow, it's fucking Celine Dion. So (laughs) it's all coming back to me, you know? one contraband you had busted on it. Oh, man. Bible college is a wild ride. And... It's terrifying mm-hmm. because you never know mm-hmm. what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right. Even if you are doing something right, you're probably not going to hear that. It's just going to be neutral. And you can get in trouble for the weirdest shit. And you're blindsided with that. Blindsided. So you're constantly on guard. Freaking out. We won't get into my childhood, but that's how that was. You oh, never yeah. knew when you might get in trouble for something that you don't rem- remember doing or didn't realize it was wrong because right. it was like piled on you towards the end. Mm-hmm. We can get into my childhood yeah. later. Absolutely. But it was similar. Church was the household. same way. Yeah. The church. rules were changing all the time. There was no standard. They were always changing. Like what was allowed and what wasn't allowed at any given time could change. Mm-hmm. And the punishment could range from, something minor to something severe and it wouldn't necessarily match up with what happened. Like I know at Pensacola we used to like every quarter or so we had to do like a deep clean of our room Mm -hmm. in addition to the morning cleans we had to do every day. And they would come through and do we call it white glove. Oh us too. Yeah yeah right so everybody needs to lick their bunk bed. Yeah it's gross. It's gross. No it's gotta be that clean. But like if we left a piece of trash in in the morning or whatever demerits for that demerits and if nobody fessed up to it the entire room got the same demerits yep for a piece of trash being left in a trash can in the morning because that makes sense because that's a real life consequence yeah right yeah that's i mean that's real life that's what happens yeah and i think that the, the dress codes are so strict and the the way the only appearance they accept is it's so, the appearance they will accept is so limited. It's such a narrow pathway of acceptable appearance that everybody ends up looking the same. 
everybody listens to the same music, everybody's reading the same books, everybody's talking about the same thing. There's so little room for anything other but than this. That's limit. why it's scary. Exactly. Because it's literally, if you will, wolves in sheep clothing. It is. It's like it is wolf in sheep clothes because they're telling you they represent God. They're telling you this is what God wants for your life. They're using God and you to scare the shit out of yes. you. It's terrible. And my friends with a good person or a bad person, because I dated a pretty bad guy there. And I had mm-hmm. no idea he was bad because he looked and did everything that Bob Jones, my church, said. Right. You know? Or even not even just, you know, romantic relationships, but even friendships. Yeah. Everything could only be surface. Oh yeah. And if you came out of that school with some deeper relationships. And I will say that I have, I have some really good friends who are going through things similar to me. Some have like returned to faith. Some have totally forsaken their faith and I'm still friends with them. And I am shocked. I left with that. I'm glad that you did. I can't say that. I think I have one friend that I maintained from there, but mostly no. Um, The thing about creating friendships there is that like, like we mentioned before, at any given point, if you do something and they know mm-hmm. and they decide they want to tell on you, mm-hmm. they will. And I don't think that was a malicious thing, right? We were all conditioned to have this like kind of fake guilt. Right. Like we were always like, I'm guilty for something. I don't know what it is. Okay, well, I know that they listened to that fucking Celine Dion. I'm turning her ass right. in. For sure, I've turned her in. I, you know, I got turned in for watching Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, we went to Atlanta, and I'm going to send a link to this podcast to my friend. I'm not going to name her. Okay. Just in case. She knows exactly who she is. And we all went to her house in Georgia, and her mom was just the <laughs> nicest thing in the whole fucking world. And we had a great time. There was like four or five of us girls watched Sweet Home Alabama. And next thing you know, I get this knock on my door fucking dorm door and we're all in the dorm soup's room and she's confronting us and said this one girl i won't name her either because i'm not malicious either turned us in and we had to go through this whole list of all the bad things we saw in sweet home alabama and here i am i finally get away right Mm -hmm. here's where this fear comes in you finally get away you get a breather i had my cd I don't know what it was, a sling me on, but she was, this was like a CD player. Like every time my friend would like hit a bump on 85, it would, you know, <laughs> like, like, it's all coming back. It's all, coming, you know, like, sorry, can you yes. take it easy? So she knew about that. And so here I am finally have like a time to like chill and rest and heal. And I just felt so good. This very wholesome time I had at my friend's house with my other friends. And now I'm literally pulled out of my bunk, pulled into a dark dorm soup's room mm-hmm. to talk about how I could be kicked out for all this stuff and how all these demerits would add up and where's my spiritual life. So not that. Now I'm thinking like, oh, Jesus Christ. Now I'm for sure dying going to hell because I didn't feel guilty about it. So now yeah. you're doubting this salvation and you're yes, like, it's so, it just, it's one thing that leads to another, but and any moment that I finally was able, even there, to relax, I there was something else I did wrong. Because yeah. somebody felt guilty. And I don't necessarily blame that person for their guilt. I don't think they meant it, again, maliciously. It wasn't an ill-intended thing. Because this 
female was going through the same thing. Right. And there was this, you know, you talk about unspoken rules. There was this like unspoken, I like to refer to it as a spiritual totem pole. And like your goal was to get to the highest point of that. And the only mm-hmm. way to do that was to really turn people in and let your superiors see like how spiritual and spiritually sensitive you were to rise to the top. Yeah. And that was a tone pull I didn't want to be on. Yeah, no. No, I only made it one year. Really? I did three. You did three? Okay. Girl, yes. Three. I I got kicked out after my junior voice recital. But word on the street is I was failing anyways. (laughs) I was. Don't believe the rumors you hear, though. And another story for another time, but I had no idea what a GPA even was. I had like a 2.1. Like I had no idea. I didn't know what GPA was. I didn't know how to like pass or fail. I had no idea how to study. Were you homeschooled? No, I went to a small Christian school attached to my small church. Okay. So. So close enough. Yeah. Basically. So my, you know, education wasn't the, I didn't know. I feel so stupid saying that. And. Looking back, I wish I would have had more direction from adults in my life to be like, this is how you study. This is how this works. You need a high GPA. I don't blame anybody necessarily in particular for that. I guess I do blame, um, would place a lot of blame on the church, right? Because yeah. all those people were heavily educated mm-hmm. and they should have um, known. Um, yeah, but education was a point under the level of law. Education wasn't as important because I could sing and I could play the piano. But I will say that worked out. I ended up going to North Greenville and I got a full ride. Good for you. I went there for free. Congrats. And, um, but by that time I was so burnt out with music and nothing transferred. North Greenville was so gracious. And, um, that's when I found out I needed Adderall, um, was getting it from a friend and started making straight A's. And Amazing. that led to a life of like, and I reached out to a lot of teachers. I'm like, I don't, this is how I learned. Something's not right. I mean, my grades skyrocketed and I did not get, I didn't realize. Let me tell you how sheltered I was. I did not realize it was illegal for me to buy Adderall oh, from no. people on the sports teams oh, in North no. Greenville. Like when I tell you, girl, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay, we did not have private health insurance growing up. Right. You did what you needed to do. And I had no idea. In all honesty, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> so I remember going to see this doctor in Spartanburg, and I was like, um, I have been buying these drugs called Adderall from my um, one of my friends or these people I know, and it m- makes my grades better. And she's like, first of all, don't ever don't do tell that. that to anybody. Okay. <laughs> Number two don't do that. Here's a book on ADHD. Go write me a two page paper. Mm-hmm. Like I wish I could remember this physician's name. I know she's retired. And I came back and I read this book and I wrote this paper and I was like, I have ADHD. And she's like, yeah, you do. Um, that's great. So yeah, I wish that had been brought up before, you know, my voice did give me some scholarships, which is great. Yeah. But Norgum was good. And I will say there's a shout out to my German teacher, Bob Jones. Because before educational, like, accommodations, mm-hmm. she's like, why are you failing these? And I was like, Miss Hanson, I don't know. Like, but when you read it to me, I get the answers right. And so she would read my exams what? to me. 
and I would take all my exams like orally and I was, I would pass them. That's amazing. I know. So she was, oh my gosh. And that really opened my eyes to that. And North Greenville was like, they didn't really have an accommodation in some like assessment centers in 2005 or six when I was there. I think it was 2006 or 2007 actually. And um, they just worked with me. And that's the first time education became important. Then I realized, holy shit, I love learning and I love research. And I did a lot of math and science there. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is my shit. I love this. And um, so, yeah. I love that. I, I love education. And, and I, I really always have. And I'm really glad that you got to have that experience. Yeah that you got to love it too, because it is powerful to be able to teach yourself and to be able to learn and to be able to go do what you want to do but because you understand was the church going to do that. Because then if you had the knowledge, you would not be fearful. That's right. Right. And then they would lose control. That's right. And can get you to one. Yeah. I think they're even more strict around women getting education. Oh, for- for sure. Oh, yeah. They're like, women get educations, and they don't want to be subservient to men. And it's like, no shit. Uh-uh. No shit. Let me tell you what. I do have a man. Mm-hmm. And a good one. I have a good man. Let me tell you what. If I wasn't educated and independent, girl, we wouldn't be together. Right. Like, in the same way. I feel like if I were to call him and be like, um, so my friends and I want to go out, and I just want to get your permission and make sure it's an okay time to go, he would be like, Fuck off. Like, You're go. Disgusting. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember saying to my boyfriend one time, I was like, I, we were watching a movie together and I was getting really emotional. I was definitely going to cry because it was so sweet and so cute. And I was like trying to hide the fact that I was crying. Oh, that's so good point. Yeah. yeah. It's like you don't want to feel emotions. Right. And he realized that I was trying to hide I was crying and he was like, you can just cry. Like, it's fine. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Yo, this is unwrap. I'm literally unwrapping this in therapy right now because I, she's like, we're trying to find like my two core beliefs about myself. And one is I'm not good enough. Right. Oh, yeah. And this constant like fear and guilt we're trying to figure out. And I'm like, well, she's like, you know, we can't really work any further until like you're able to cry. Like you're holding a lot back, you know, all the typical mm-hmm. stuff, you know. And I was like, well, I'm just afraid because I don't want you to think like, poorly of me and she's like what is it why don't you want to like why are you so afraid to cry or show emotion and it's like this fear of um like to me it's a sign of weakness Mm -hmm. and I told her I was like but if a if a spiritual leader cries at the pulpit over something like that of God that's okay that's okay like that's strong but you better not be the bitch crying over the movie or crying because someone hurt you which is extremely justified God forbid you're a toddler Oh, I'll give you what you're cry about, you little baby. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of like just, yeah, a lot of fear. The afraid to cry because you're going to be told how like woman you are, like it was a bad thing. It was a bad thing. You tell me what, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The other thing I think about too, when I think about not wanting to show emotion, is that when somebody, I said this to my friend recently, and she was like, I think you need to unpack that. <laughs> yeah, she's like, there's a lot happening there. I was like, if somebody knows too much about me, or they know something about me that I don't want them to know, like, 
if they know what I'm feeling, they know what I'm thinking, they know where I'm going, what I'm doing at any given time, that means that they have control over me or mm-hmm. they can take control over mm-hmm. me in some way. And there's a combination of reasons why I feel that way right. um, between oh, school God, and family so and the church. But like, I don't want anyone, I don't want to give anyone control over me. Fuck no. No. I control my own them. body. That's right. And I, I'm very, I'm very sensitive about it in ways that I'm having to unlearn. Because mm-hmm. they don't serve me anymore. And mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, they're holding me. Like what once protected me is now holding me back. And so right. I'm trying to be more conscious of. But it's going to take some time, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think about that a lot. I'm like, you know, someone's like, well, why, why don't you tell someone such what you're doing? And I'm like, if I tell them, then they know. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want them to know. Mm-hmm. Why do they need to know where I am at any given time? Like I, I think about that with like having trackers on my phone or anything like that. I'm just like, Mm-mm. I turn location off everything. Why do you need to know where I'm at? That's none of your fucking business. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just, and it doesn't even matter. Like I'm at home most of the time, but like, <laughs> I work from home even, mm-hmm. but like, I just, if you know what I think about something, then you know what I think about something and you might bring it up and we might have to get into an <laughs> argument and then you might, you know, start talking to people about me and then you're going right. to like, come at me with a bunch of emotional shit I'm not prepared to deal with. And like, it's just a whole thing. It just so I just keep it to myself. Ammunition to come back right. later and tell you either talk about you, which I you know, whatever I'm definitely talked about now. Um, but either talk about you or that's like ammunition that they save up to come back and like hit you yes. with it and like bring it back around of like, Oh my God, you're, you're weak. You're not submitting your, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then you just feel guilty about all of this shit. And then, like, it's totally, like, fear and guilt and weak. Like, these are just, like, these, like, oh, I'm weak. And I feel guilty. Like, now I'm afraid that someone's going to bring it back to me. It's, like, it's such a vicious cycle. It is a vicious cycle. You know, my therapist just asked me. What? She's like, you know it's okay to need people. Oh. And I was like, oh. And it's okay to cry in front of the right people. Yeah. You have safe people. There's no doubt, like. Y'all, if I could tell you, my safe person is my spouse, which I still can't call my husband. I typically call my partner, but then people seem to think, you know, I'm married to a woman. But I have a hard time with husband. I really do. And he's totally secure. He's like, whatever. I Mm -hmm. totally, whatever makes you feel good. You know, what he is confident in is that we're committed to each other. That's okay. So I've got this like core belief of like weakness, but she said, how would you feel? She's like, let me like paint a picture for you. How would you feel knowing that you are okay? Knowing that you, you don't need your husband and like a codependent relationship, right? I'm not talking about like an unhealthy need, but that, you know, that you need him, that life is easier with him, right? I know this. We've got four kids. My life, I could not be in nursing school and working and have four children without Adam. No way. Absolutely not. I like literally could not be doing this without him. Um, It makes things so much easier. Now, could I be doing it? Yes, but it's a hell of a lot easier doing it with him. It's like, how would you feel? From the outside, let's say you um, are okay with like needing him and recognizing that, you know, you do need him and that's okay and safe. And I was like, uh, gross. Disgusting. Like I instantly started getting chest pain. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I'd be damned. Don't tell me I need 
nobody. Mm-hmm. And that's so, it's unfair to him. I'm thankful for his grace and just being okay with it. Um, thank God he's like secure and confident. Otherwise, this would have ended up a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, because I'm not going to cry. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be weak. I can do this on my own. But like, that's also like programmed into you too. Isn't it weird? Like, and that's what I told her. I was like, there's no, it's chaotic. It's like, it's just like this. It's so, it's so much more controlling than just like what you wear, your pantyhose and your shoes. Right. right? It's what emotion you're going to feel, how you're going to feel it, but always being on guard and wondering when they're going to change the rules. But be full of joy. But not too much joy. We're not going to fucking laugh that loud. No, that's a little loud. That's showy. Yeah. God forbid you show them teeth. Don't too much. do it. You're supposed to be a soft landing place for soft. everybody in your life. And nobody can be that for you. And don't be emotional. But I'm going to tell you you're emotional. And then I'm going to scream at you from the whole thing. Because <laughs> screaming in righteous anger is not an emotion. Like, I feel like we did not grow up the way we did. You would think we were crazy, but you, you know, we anybody who like lived this life, they are like, oh my God, I get it. I get it. Like, oh my God. I thought I was the only one. We were both independent fundamental Baptists. So like, you'll know what I'm talking about when they beat yes. the pulpit and it rings out like that. The righteous anger. Oh my the God. righteous indignation. One time my pastor did it. I said my hospital. I'm sorry. He's not my pastor. <laughs> One time he did it. No, the pastor <laughs> of the church I grew up in did that pulpit beating, screaming, yelling thing over the Simpsons. Yes, like, people don't understand how weird and emotional this is. Like he was really upset because someone on the Simpsons said something about like there's an episode where Jesus was in it. And <laughs> like, of course, that's already like, oh no, Jesus on television. Are we gonna like this or not? And then I guess I can't remember the episode. I've seen it a few times and now I'm going to like blank on it. But basically they tell him like, they're making fun of the DMV, right? They're making fun of how the DMV doesn't care who you are. You're going to be waiting. And Jesus walks up in line at the DMV and they're like, sit down, you'll have to wait. And he's like, but I'm like the son of God. And he goes, sit down, you'll have to wait. But this pastor is standing behind the pulpit going, and he says to our Lord and Savior, who died for our sins, sit down, you don't have to wait, and you don't disrespect my sins. <laughs> like, I didn't understand Not at the, the time, thumping. because I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. But my way I watched that episode I was like, what is this? Because it really didn't have anything to do with Jesus at no. all. It was a it was a joke. But isn't it funny that you can't joke about Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. But you could joke about, like, the fat women in your church. Oh, yeah. Or the ones that sang off key. Mm-hmm. Or the ones that stunk a little bit. Or the yeah. ones that cried too much. It was okay to make fun of women and make fun of yeah. other people. But you, you can't crack a joke. You can't make fun of something of God, no. Mm-mm. And like the fear they would instill over the dumbest things, it sticks with you. Oh, and it yeah. follows you for so like I it is amazing to me the times I have thought somebody is angry with me when they were just behaving normally. Oh my god. Yeah, just mm-hmm. being assertive. Mm-hmm. And if you are too assertive, how that was like condemned was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, you made such a bitch. Mm-hmm. And you didn't say that word, I'm sorry, but you know, like you were hardened and hard-hearted. Hard-hearted. But, oh, um, that term. 
Oh my gosh. And then here's what kills me about it too, is it's manipulative. And that's what's scariest about it, I think, right? They're using the spear. They're calling it the fear of God. Mm-hmm. And it's just really weird and intense forms of manipulation. Oh, yeah. Because all of a sudden the whole church is against you, but nobody said anything. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're, you're just a parents that was threatened to have to apologize from the whole church. Oh, it happened. It's yeah. this one particular time. Like I was a child, right? Teenager, mm-hmm. child. And I do remember one particular time they wanted me to do it. And my dad said, no. That's a fucking movie. Good. You know why, though? It's because I was caught seeing olives to my forbidden boyfriend. Oh, well. And he said olive juice back. Oh. But you know when you say olive juice, it mm-hmm. looks like I love you. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to apologize. So Ultra, Ultra, having a relationship at, like, in the sixth grade. Oh. You know. Yeah. Because I had just gotten a period. Because I knew all about sex. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, why are you put that kind of pressure on somebody? Like, that's the kind of fear and guilt I'm talking about. Can you imagine being in sixth grade? Knowing nothing about sex, nothing about romantic relationships. You just know that you like this person and this person likes you. And you're made to feel so guilty about it to where you're going to have to literally get in front of an entire fucking goddamn church to fucking apologize. Yeah. And so you're made to feel guilty. That's, that's the kind of fucking fear I'm talking about. Yeah. It's this fear of this God that's going to like literally smite you dead. Because you were in a relationship you weren't supposed to be in because boyfriends and girlfriends are forbidden to go to Bob Jones. Yep. Yep. And then somebody's watching you all the time to make sure you don't mess up. Because if you do mess up, it's unforgivable and you'll be a tainted woman. I'm scared and guilty to literally smile too much, laugh too hard, be too angry, be too Mm -hmm. sad, um, listen to the wrong thing. Just stupid shit like yeah. I think of the time that I was asked to play like the hymns in the offertory as a teenager because mm-hmm. our we had a switch, our we had pianists, like whatever the fuck, I don't know. So I play and I thought I did like a good job. And like I truly was like, Lord, just use me. Yeah. Like seriously. I was dead ass, like dead ass. Lord use me. This is for your glory, nobody else. Like Bob Jones taught you not to um to pray, not to be a distraction through like your mess ups and stuff like that. And so I thought I did like a good job and I was God honoring. And after I got done playing, like after the service was over and all that shit, right. I think like, okay, well done. Thou good and faithful motherfucking servant. Right. <laughs> I've done a great job. Mm-hmm. I, it's come back to me that, um, I need not to smile so much because I came across as very arrogant and prideful and that I was just like a know-it-all or like a goody-goody. Like, I just yeah. thought it was so great. You just think you're so cool and so great because you can play. And that's the vibes you gave off why you were playing the piano for the church service. Because I smiled too much and I got too excited and I was too happy to, you know, play the piano for a joyful service to worship the Lord. Yeah. Like, when can I ever rest? You know? And you want to know why I have so much anxiety? Like, when can I ever rest? It's I did a job, and I thought it was good. And it always comes back around about what you did wrong. You never had a chance to rest. Yeah. Ever. Ever. And you're always on guard. You're always making sure, like, that you're not doing something that someone could perceive Mm -hmm. the wrong way. And so you end up. They over Yeah. Something I say in the letter that I wrote 
uh, when I was starting this podcast. It's it's like the first blog post on the website, and uh, I ended up editing the first episode. But I've contorted myself into so many versions of me mm-hmm. to please whoever and to make sure that they see me in a very specific way. Oh, yeah. And I was trained to do that, and, I, and I've done it for I did it for so long. Mm-hmm. That it's difficult to unwind what parts of me are me and what parts of me are parts of me that I adapted Mm -hmm. to please other people. Mm -hmm. And it's been a long, long, long journey. I still go in therapy. Oh, yeah. I still catch myself doing it. It makes me feel bad. I'm like, I'm not trying to manipulate it. I'm not trying to be dishonest. I just, for up until I was probably 30, had very little idea of who I actually was as a person. girl. And, and that's not that's not a good way to live, and it's a, it's a hurtful way to live. There are definitely people I hurt on that journey. Well, I finally, like, I still, even though I I I will say I've been doing um, trauma therapy and EMDR for oh, yeah. almost two years, right? It's you. it's, and I'm still like, as soon as I think I'm like good, I'm not. Yeah. But as much as I've been able to develop over the last two years and really figure out who I am, now I will say that Adam, my spouse because i know his <laughs> he knows who i am always have and that when i met him you know i broke up him like four times like the mm. poor guy like and i'm like look this is who i am and this is who i'm around so this is who we have to be when they're around yeah. right like and this is how we have to be when they're around and like okay but he's the only person that really really knows who i am and so now when i decided to go into back to school for nursing school especially nursing school because community college um my school is actually pretty big mm-hmm. one of the things I really ran into is I would get to know these people and like hang out and study and especially once you're in the nursing program you're mm-hmm. such a close-knit group of people and I mean like like our study sessions like if I can't like fart in my study session with you like we're not going to study together <laughs> it's not happening. I bring my poopery but if you don't understand that if I'm not going to poop in the nine hours that we're together studying like we're not going to stay together. but I still run into here I am here's like jolly celeste i'm boisterous i'm funny and i'm loud but i'm also reserved when i need to be type thing and i would be myself with these people and they would be like share with us who you are and even if they were like class would be like share the class like a fun fact about you instantly felt guilty oh i get home my whole ride home like why did i say that why did i show them who i was why why'd you laugh like that that was such a weird laugh no it wasn't it's your fucking laugh uh-huh. My God, why? Like, and these are people who like actually fucking love me. Like yeah. the group that I was with today, they actually fucking love me. And I'm like, are you sure I'm not? They're like, no, you're like my spirit animal. Like, yeah. I love you so much. And that feels so weird. And I'm still like, even driving home today, like, did I say something wrong? She was sort of quiet. Is she mad at me? Please don't be mad at me. Is it something I said? Mm-hmm. Did I say something? Maybe I was too much. Maybe I wasn't enough. Yeah. That performance review is rough. But that's a kind of like, I mean, the fear is just so multifaceted. There's all sorts of types of fear. Yeah. But that is where I think a lot of my reasons I'm in therapy, my reasons for my growth and things I'm able to see stepping away and stuff like that is just how much fear motivates everything. Fear that motivates the guilt, fear that motivates the humor, fear that motivates the crying or not crying. Mm-hmm. Fear that motivates what you drive, what you wear, how you mm-hmm. walk, how you communicate with all sorts of different people. Yeah. 
what career you go into, who you marry. I can't make any kind of decision. It's not that I'm like flip floppy. It's that I'm so fucking afraid of making the wrong decision. Yeah. And there's really, unless it's going to cause harm, there's no wrong decision. Right. Right. And why can't it's I just, just accept that? Yeah, it's tough. It's so. really tough. We're talking about like relationships and, and that figure there. I remember when I was married before. I got a real estate license and I got into real estate. You're not divorced, are you? I am divorced. I know. I'm going to hell too. We're going to hang out. We're going to be hanging out together. (laughs) I will bring the mimosas. Um, You can bring the burn kits. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't. Yeah. You know why I did though is because I was told I was going to like go to hell and all this stuff. And everybody else was having premarital sex and affairs. And I was like, well, if they can, then I'm just going to do it literally. <laughs> and I did it. Anyways, okay. as you were saying, um, yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I remember I got a real estate license and I, and I had got to the point where I was like, this is going to be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I was really nervous about it. And we came back home from a date one night and I just like lost my shit. I started bawling mm-hmm. in the car could not hold it in. I'm not really that kind of person. So he mm-hmm. was shocked. <laughs> like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just really worried that like, if I get so busy with this that I, I can't take care of our home anymore. Where did that, I thought I was past that. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there worrying, like, if I don't take care of our home well enough, then you're going to be unsatisfied and you're going to be unhappy with me and you're not going to want to be with me anymore. And like, <clears throat> it came out of nowhere. It felt like. But it was so real. That mm-hmm. fear just like came out in this big gush of like, I'm so scared that the house is going to get dirty or I'm not going to be cooking dinners anymore or like da 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 da. I had wild. this conversation similar, like very, you know, watered down with somebody that's still, I consider a close person in my life. And she told me, Celeste, she graduated from Bob Jones years before I did. Guilt is a choice. Unless you've done something that is morally wrong, you know, mm-hmm. a reason to feel guilty. Guilt is a choice. And you, and it sounds crazy, right? Because I'm like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But I am, I have been programmed, if you will, to choose to feel guilty over stupid shit just so other people could control me. Mm-hmm. And so that's so like ingrained into your literal like DNA somehow that you can't do anything without feeling guilty about it anything. and fearful about it yeah. because you have to choose you, you have, you don't know any other way. Yeah. You yeah. know, just like I was an enabler um, that was enabling people to manipulate me and abuse me. Yeah. And I hated that I was labeled the enabler, but I was. And if I wanted to pull myself out of these toxic relationships, I had the power to do so. And I had the power to stop feeling guilty about shit that I did not do wrong. It was not a matter of right or wrong. If you did something wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. if you did cheat on a spouse, if you did punch somebody or purposely cheat on an exam, or you weren't forthright or honest. Of course, you're going to feel like shit. Like that's guilt, right? right. Otherwise, you're choosing it. But I've, I've been taught to choose it. Yeah. The guilt has, has waned for me over the years. I'm very glad to say the next untanglement seems to be shame. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Shame. And then I'm not good enough. Just like shameful. Like I'm not good. 
been working through that one in therapy too. I like that we're doing that kind of at the same time. You should compare. No, but so you time. have similar backgrounds. Right. And I really think even though we might all have different stories, there's a lot of connections we can make. I still feel like fear and guilt mm-hmm. and shame. That's how you can, that's how you control somebody. Yeah. yeah, it is. And also for any people who are listening right now who are, who have left recently or who are still like really in the throes of this or thinking about leaving and you have all this guilt, like it will hold you back. Oh yeah. It will hold you back Indeed. so hard and you're going to sit mm-hmm. around like I still do and think you can't do something mm-hmm. or you're not capable of something or you don't have the capacity to do something mm-hmm. because you have been taught for so long to feel bad and guilty and like you're not enough and like you aren't good enough and like you aren't ever going to be good enough because you were born bad and you will stay bad and there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do to become good. Precisely. Only this person that you can't see, not even person, deity that you can't see and can't talk to and can't commune with, but like somehow left you a very vague book of books <laughs> to learn from. Like, that's the only thing you could be completely, you could be good. It's an unattainable it's, standard. It's it is unattainable. An unattainable standard. And, and so my therapist loves to be like, so I came in one time and I was like, I just feel like I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to reach the heights I want to reach. I'm never going to mm-hmm. get there. I love it when she does this to me because I need sass and a therapist. Mm-hmm. So I go in and she's like, yeah, I guess you're right. You really are pretty terrible. And I, like it made me laugh because I was like, when you hear it back, it's so silly. And so like but the you people. you would say that to somebody else. You would say that to me. And absolutely. I would say that to you. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I God, never you're so put terrible. that stuff No. And so, like, I challenge anyone who's listening and still dealing with that to, like, start looking at the standards mm-hmm. you're setting for yourself and, and, like, really, really thinking about whether or not they're attainable. Because, like, you've seen my, you've seen my cooking videos, my food mm-hmm. videos and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I cook very well. You do. I have been putting off starting offering cooking classes because I don't think I'm good enough to do it yet. And you are. And I have to, and, like, I'm still in the middle of working through that. It's holding me back. But that's what I would tell our listeners too. jumping off of what you said is that that may be how you look at yourself, but look at the standards that you've placed on people around you that you love or even the general public. You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that to you in real life. And I want to make it clear that I'm accused of a whole lot of stuff. And then when this podcast comes out, like I'm going to be the talk of the town and talk to my family and I don't give a fuck. Okay. <laughs> um, but we gave it our all. I oh, didn't like, yeah. I don't want people to think like, oh my God, she's in sin and she's broken away. I know everything they're saying. She's just, um, Satan has taken over her life and she's been over to a reprobate mind. And we just need to pray for a prodigal daughter to return. It's not like that. It's not like, oh, I hate God and I hate Christians and I'm so angry. I'm not this angry bitch walking around, like wanting to stab all the pastors and burn all the churches down. Right. Now there are times in my anger that I want to, when I think of the abuse that went down, but another story for another day, I'm telling you, I gave this my all. I knew nothing else. I prayed with the strongest fervency. I prayed from the marrow of my bones. I have begged God for mercy. I am going to cry. I have begged God for healing. I have begged God for changes of heart. Um, I have given it my all. 
my whole life was given to the church, my personality, my not even just my style, because I have a really good sense you of style. Incredible sense of style. And obviously, I dress like a lesbian because <laughs> I probably am. But that's another story for another day too, which my husband does support. And I gave it all my all. I gave it my family. I dedicated my children to the church. I tried Presbyterianism and baptized my children in the mm-hmm. church. But I gave the church. I gave Christianity and stop coming with me that all Christians aren't the same and all churches aren't the same. I don't fucking care. The core belief of there's a God and there's a Bible. Let me tell you what, I gave it my all. I gave them my health. I gave them my family. Again, my style, right? I gave them my personality. I gave them my talents. Everything I sacrificed for the church and for this God and for Jesus so my life could be better and my life has been nothing but chaos and heartache and fear and fear and fear right mm-hmm. write that down that's a red that's letter baby one. fear <laughs> and guilt and shame and doubt and like no hope and everyone's like oh my god there's just so much hope in christ and like he rose on a beautiful day the fuck he did mm-hmm. there's nothing beautiful in this i gave it my all until i literally have nothing else to give it was a cardiologist that i had seen and mm-hmm. and he told me a couple years ago if you don't cut out whatever it is in your life that's causing this you're going to end up on your ass and you are never going to get up like when I tell you my health has deteriorated and continues to because the healing process is not easy. It's not like I had a change of heart and I cut everybody off. This is hard. It is brutal, but somehow it's way more freeing, right? Because oh healing is a yeah. process. You know, in nursing school, you learn like there's healing. When you get that initial laceration, mm-hmm, yeah. I think that, that way, or my pediatrician would talk to me about like um, like ulcers that my one son would get because he has mm-hmm. a lot of different knee problems. When you even bite the inside of your mouth, right, or you Mm -hmm. have an ulcer or whatever in your mouth, it doesn't hurt that first day. What hurts is that second, third, and fourth day Mm -hmm. when your skin's trying to heal all that stuff and there's more inflammation because everything's, like, coming to the surface so that you can have that scar and heal and move on. And so I just think it's so important for everybody to understand, anybody who's on this podcast, I didn't just decide one day willy-nilly, um, Satan has a hold of my heart and I'm a reprobate and right. um, I've blocked everyone off. Like, that's not how this works. This is a brutal process. Mm-hmm. But this did not come without giving Christianity literally, I would say, I'm going to be 39 this November. So I'd say like 35, 36 years of my life. I gave it my all. I yeah. did the right thing. And I, it's not like I was trying to hide who I was. I was that good of a person. Yeah. And you know what? As good as I was, I was still being accused of doing these bad things, mm-hmm. you know, that I wasn't doing. Yeah. And my, I was never good enough. Yeah. But in Christianity, how can you ever be? Because all your righteousness is filthy rags. Yeah. So we've come, we've come full circle. We're back to the point where I'm going to ask you, what launched you out of Bob Jones? Oh, man, launched me out. Okay. So the biggest thing was obviously the fear and the guilt, right? And I Mm -hmm. constantly doubted my salvation. Yeah. And I was always asking 
the Lord to come, like Jesus to come back in my heart. Yeah. Right. And you would hear these messages like, if you're doing this and you're doing that and you're not making a pass to get off mm-hmm. campus and you don't feel guilty about that, you're probably not saved. You're probably going to hell. Right. Right. And so that's where I was. And then I had this like utter confusion of like, oh my God, I'm going to hell every single time. But like, I don't feel guilty, but I know I didn't do something wrong, but they're telling me, right. right. And so I remember um, praying and saying, I had this little journals writing in, but I was praying and I was like, Lord, I don't want to give up and quit. Cause I, listen, <laughs> young girl is a lot of things, but I ain't no quitter. Ain't no quitter. I'll walk out on you, but I ain't going to no quit bitch. that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't no quitting, bitch, for sure. And I was like, Lord, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to be that person. Because at this point, we had already been like disowned by the church, too. We were, mm-hmm. you know, um, our family was excommunicated or whatever, you know, whatever they call it in that circle. And I was like, Lord, if you don't get me out of here, I'm not going to quit. Just get me out of here. Ooh. Like, Lord, please get me out of here. I don't know how to do it. I've got to get out of here. Because I was in such spiritual and emotional and mental turmoil. Again, chaos, you know. That's interesting. Um, I was kicked out the next day. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Which was something really stupid. I drove home to see um, my mother because supposed she has shingles in an eye or whatever. And so I had to sing at the commencement competition, oh. which I couldn't have, like, won anyways because I had 75 demerits. So fuck that shit. And so I had to drive through the night to Florida because I couldn't fly out early. Um, had to drive through the night to Florida, and I took my friend Liz with me. Mm-hmm. And one other girl found out about it. Only one other girl knew about it, right? And yeah. she turned us in. And we had to drive back. <laughs> and they told me that if I turned in Liz, that I could stay. What? Yeah. Like, you could stay if you turn her in. I was like, well, she was with me. And they said, we don't understand, but both of your stories are matching up. And we don't know why, but we know you're lying. I'm like, because we're telling the truth. This was like three in the morning. So yeah, I got, I got kicked out, signed the papers and I was laughing and they're like, why are you laughing? I was like, because this is time. Like, this is my time. I prayed that this would happen. And like, we're just so concerned about your spiritual um, life. And she started crying. Like, you need to be taking this seriously. I'm like, the Lord loves you. And (laughs) I do appreciate them kept calling my um, parents. My dad's like, listen, I'm trying to drive a truck. She's uh, 21. She'll tell you the truth. If you're kicking her out, kick her out, get it done. And my grandparents came and picked me up and um, drove me home. So that was my first. That's what got me out of Bob Jones. Of course, they went North Greenville, which I'm not going to get started with them because there's really nothing other than it's Christian. It was a great school. I knew who I wanted to hang out with and who I didn't. There wasn't the strong dress codes. Um, you figured out real quick who was going to be your friend and who wasn't because you weren't, there wasn't this like, that was very refreshing. When yeah. people complain about the rules, I'm like, okay, so you can't like have sex, do drugs, or drink alcohol. No, this um, is nothing. This, this is, is child's nothing. play. I'm like literally running in between classes and with my booty shorts on, like my Nike mm-hmm. tempos uh-huh. and going to class sweaty. Like it was like so was refreshing, normal. and I, you know, I run a few miles yeah. in classes, so like that was cool. So that's what the of Jones was. Oddly enough, this prayer to like maybe God does exist. <laughs> this prayer that some get me sort out, of something out there wanted you out of there, and that's that's great because I was I was crumbling. I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. 
Yeah. And just the competition in the voice department, like the music department. Like, I'm not, I, I'm not competitive at all. Yeah. There's one thing that I've learned doing this podcast. It is that people that are in the music and churches, that is, that is the, where the wild shit happens. It's it is cutthroat. So I they can tell are, you, I'm oh not seeing anymore even. It's just taking the joy out of everything. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. One day I will. Yeah. And I feel like we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but like mm-hmm. as far as your spiritual journey now. I have a really good friend, Marcy. And she's actually one of my um, safe places when my therapist tells me to think of a safe place. It's my like bed and my friend, Marcy. And, oh my gosh, I love Marcy. And I've been brutally honest with her because she's still a believer. She says, God can handle it. You don't have to define your faith right now. And if God is who he says he is, he can handle it. He can handle your anger and confusion because she doesn't believe that that is who God is. Right? That's right. I don't know who God is, but right now she has encouraged me. You don't have to be in church right now because you don't need to be triggered by all of this. Yeah. Take a moment to step back and heal, reflect, heal, right? Dude. I tried stepping in to sing a few things and I just couldn't do it because it just immediately triggered me and I was a mess. So that is where I'm at, right? Mm-hmm. I'm healing. I'm not defining my faith. I don't think I believe in God. I maybe believe in a spiritual world, yeah. right? I believe maybe there's some like higher spiritual beings or being I don't know. Like the, but like I said, I'm not like anti-God. I just don't know. And I'm not ready to define that right now. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I feel similarly. I just need to rest for a little bit. And you know what? If God is real and the Bible is real, he can handle it. Yep. And I can step away and heal. And maybe one day I'll return to faith or a faith. I know a lot of people of faith who support me in every way and who are to found peace in their faith, who are nothing like how I grew up. And that's great. And I love that. And maybe one day I'll end up there. But right now I'm just not in a place where I can define what I believe. Because if I believe something, I want to know why and believe it wholeheartedly and not just accept blindly, which is what Christianity teaches. Yeah, absolutely. I can do that. Yep. Now we see. That's where I'm at. Now we see. That's right. I love not knowing. I actually, not knowing and being comfortable and not knowing has led me to, to so much peace. Believe it or not, it's so mm-hmm. much peace. Um, but it's also got me thinking about people who are adamant that they do know. Mm-hmm. And I've come to a conclusion that if anybody looks at me and says, I know this is who God is, definitively, I'm not sure I trust them. <laughs> no. How do you know? And they always say, they What's always say, they always say, it's because I've experienced him. How? That like gut feeling or like... Mm-hmm. Because I've seen him work. How? Okay. Like how? That's based on you, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you compared my experience to yours, (laughs) baby, I felt him a completely different way. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, Celeste. This has been a pleasure. And we've reached the point. It really has. I had the best time. I love that we had a comedy episode together because it's just... Stand up as next on the roster, baby. You should. Oh my God. Let's tour as Bible College besties. It'll be great. Just have a riot and talk shit. It'll be great. I ask every guest the same two questions. Right. Are you ready? Yes. So the first one is 
Go ahead. <laughs> the first one is, what do you see clearly now that you didn't see before when you were the most in it? I mean, a lot of things, to be honest, because yeah. it's still coming together in pieces. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, damn. Just how strong mm-hmm. fear is. Yeah. And if you can instill fear in people by higher powers that they can't prove, mm-hmm. right? Just like snowballs into, I guess, like the guilt mm-hmm. and more fear. And, but, just how fear is used is such a strong, it's such a strong tool for control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I see that everything I did was out of fear and that's where they want you. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm reminded just not to be afraid. I love that. Yeah. And the last question is, okay. What have been some of your greatest moments of joy in your rebuilding process post faithfulness. Oh man. I want to say just the true freedom that I have. Um, and how the people that matter still love me regardless of who I am or how I change. Um, you know, you're taught that there's freedom in Christ and all this kind of stuff, but I will say that this is the first time I have felt free. I love that. Celeste, it was amazing to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, for trusting me with your story. This is, this is a pretty big move for me. I haven't, you know, really shared this publicly. So this is. I am so honored. I'm excited. I'm happy to be able to. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. No, thank you. Just, you know. You're welcome. You're not mad at me. Are you mad at me? No. Please don't be mad at me. You. There's that one time that I laughed a little too loud and I thought you might get more oh, at me. Oh. I mean, just a little bit, but. <laughs> All right. Thank you Thank again, you. Celeste. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and being on this journey with me. You can find resources and links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate, and review, and follow along on social media to help us grow. Now I See is independently funded by me. If you'd like to help support the show, you can donate directly or purchase a merch item on the website. Music for this episode was made by Alana Sabatini, a former faithful and talented musician. And finally, this podcast is made possible by the incredible team at Softer Sounds, a feminist podcast studio for entrepreneurs and creatives, providing technical skill with tender support.